welcome back inside the arena of conversation known simply as In My Own Words with your boy, Stephen M. Smith, Touchdown Alabama Magazine. We got the chance to look at Crimson Tide special teams, position coach Jeff Banks, and why I feel like this may be the biggest strength for the Crimson Tide next season. Also, dove into returning sophomore quarterback Tua Tonga-Bailoa. And will he be able to not look at, not focus on, rise above all the media expectations had for him in the upcoming year? But now it's time for you, the fans. This is your moment where you control the content. You have questions. You have thoughts. You have concerns. You bring them to me. And I dive into the mailbag, third edition of the Ask Steven segment right here. Got some great questions here. Three good thoughts, three strong concerns. And to start us off, we have Lisa D. Lipscomb on Twitter at L-I-P-S-L-E-2. And Lisa wants to know, what are your thoughts on running back Mark Ingram? The primary ball carrier for the New Orleans Saints. If you're just now getting to or hearing the information, a report came out on Tuesday via NFL.com on Ingram being suspended or he will be suspended the first four games of next season due to violating the league's substance abuse policy, tested positive for performance enhancement drugs and uh, this is a guy in Mark Ingram who is coming off unarguably his best season in the pros running the football and catching the ball out the backfield 2017 230 carries 1,124 yards 12 touchdowns out the backfield 58 receptions for 416 yards got invited to his second Pro Bowl, first Pro Bowl was 2014, and uh, for someone of whom, uh, you look at his first three seasons in the league, 2011, remember, Mark Ingram drafted first round, 28th overall pick to New Orleans in the 2011 draft. From 2011 to 2013, you could not turn on your TV or you could not go to, to the Saints team website without seeing some type of injury report on Ingram. Whether it was a knee, an ankle, a foot, a toe, a finger, a shoulder, a hand. Each and every week you turned on the TV or you went online, there was some type of injury report on Ingram. He could not stay healthy. And because he couldn't stay healthy, did not perform well on the field the first couple of seasons. I mean, plus, there were a number of different backs in the backfield that the Saints carried. From 2014 to this past year, you finally saw the 2009 Heisman winner. Healthy, full strength, running well. I mean, he's always had the vision and toughness. But in the last few seasons, you saw him regain that burst regained the cutback ability, his acceleration in the open field. He was finally able to put things on display from 2014 to the 2017 campaign. 
And uh, having that one-two punch with him and Alvin Kamara, it wasn't just good for the overall team uh, getting to the playoffs. It was really good for quarterback Drew Brees, who, by the way, had his best completion percentage as an NFL quarterback. Last season, career high, 72% completion rating, 4,334 passing yards, 23 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. Drew Brees had his second fewest interception total as an NFL quarterback. His fewest, he had 7 picks going back to 2004 when he was with the San Diego Chargers. They're now known as the Los Angeles Chargers. So, the combination of Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara was not just good for the Saints as a whole, but it was really good for Drew Brees as it took a lot of pressure off him. He had a big-time season, also a passer rating of 103.9. The good news, though, for Ingram is that he's actually challenging the suspension right now, challenging the four-game suspension. According to a statement that was released by his representative, David Jones, the statement would be obtained by NFL Network analyst Ian Rappaport. The statement was, Ingram was actually tested for a substance that was not performance enhancement drugs. It was not illegal. In fact, it was permissible by the National Football League. This is coming from David Jones, the representative for Mark Ingram. Now, the arbitrator, who happens to be a body of people that will have the final verdict, the final say-so on the decision, the arbitrator's opinion is due on or before Wednesday, May 16th. When you look at what will be Ingram's next move, the arbitrators will handle that opinion. Now, another good thing in the case of Ingram He's never been a problem player. He's never been a problem child. He's never had a string of just poor, poor incidents and poor judgment. When you look at guys like Dez Bryant and Odell Beckham Jr., even Le'Veon Bell, I mean, they've had moments of issues. They've had moments of complaints. Now, those three guys can very well, most certainly, produce, with the exception of, of course, Dez Bryant, who did not have his best season last year and his best season for the last couple of years. But Des Bryant, I mean, there's a big difference when you go from Tony Romo, somebody who's airing the ball, chunking the ball downfield 80, 90 yards versus a Dak Prescott who does not have the confidence to really stretch the field just yet. I mean, he's more of a Mr. Checkdown, dink and dunk type of quarterback. But you look at Des Bryant, when the ball's not going his way, he's going to complain, right? He's going to do something on the sideline that makes you scratch your head. It's the same thing with Odell Beckham Jr. Though he's insanely productive, this is the same Odell Beckham that has his crazy antics on the field, acting like he's going to pee after he scores a touchdown. The same Odell Beckham Jr. that tried to stage a little wedding thing with a field goal goal post on the sideline the same uh, OBJ that was caught in the hotel with a female snorting a white powdery substance just having some fun there but gotta be mindful of where cameras are and your influence as a player 
even down to Le'Veon Bell, who constantly complains, I deserve more money, I deserve more green, I deserve more dollar signs in my contract because I'm the biggest, baddest running back in the game right now. I don't want you franchising me, I franchise tagging me, excuse me, I want my money. And Le'Veon Bell deserves his money, but there's a right way and a wrong way about going about doing things. Mark Ingram does not strike as a problem child, as a problem player. He's never been one. He's been a model citizen ever since coming out of the University of Alabama once again in 2011. Was a model guy at Alabama. Bama fans to this day love Mark Ingram. Embrace Mark Ingram. Very much so pleased and in high regard for Mark Ingram. I mean, even though when you talk to a lot of Crimson Tide fans... Julio Jones is the ambassador. Julio Jones still stands as the measuring stick, but people know love longs towards Mark Ingram. Love the guy. In the National Football League, he's held himself up as the constant professional despite the injuries. In the last couple of seasons from 2014 to right now, he has become the trustworthy guy. He's finally been trusted with the amount of carries he's getting because he's finally healthy. Now, with the exception of an incident Mark Ingram had in 2017, back in February, where he and a couple of teammates went to this club in London, England, and they were bounced, they were not given entrance, being that they were called and labeled too urban. I mean, that's not really a situation where you would say it's troublesome. Oh, he got bounced from a club by being quote-unquote too urban. Now, whether he was starting a fight in the club, don't think that was going on. But that was the only situation that you can kind of say is negative. And that the only thing you can put in Mark Ingram's career being negative in the NFL was a couple of bouncers from London, England, think a guy is too urban, too black, and that's because he's being he's, he's not giving interest into a club, then that's not anything to cry, worry about, basically lose sleep on. But when you look at the situation, Mark Ingram is challenging the NFL arbitration department in the four-game suspension. If the challenge works, Mark Ingram will play the first four games of the season. If the challenge does not work, he will be suspended those first four games, which hurts him in the pockets because this is the final year of Ingram's extension. He was set to make a base salary of $4 million. If he does not play those first four games, he will have to forfeit a million dollars and probably some incentives behind that. And then also, when you look at the production that Alvin Kamara had last season as a rookie, Kamara 728 rushing yards, 826 receiving yards, 13 touchdowns. I mean, this guy went to the Pro Bowl, second team All-Pro, Associated Press NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, was the Pepsi NFL Rookie of the Year, was the Pro Football Writers Association All-Rookie Team. He made that list. I mean, every time you turn on the TV, Alvin Kamara was doing something ridiculous, was doing something spectacular, was doing something that grabbed your attention, forced you to watch him. And if Mark Ingram does not win his case, does not win his challenge against the uh, performance enhancement drug, then there comes the question of uh, what becomes of Mark Ingram? Do the Saints trade him? Do the Saints cut him? What's his next move? But 
in all positivity where he's concerned, he's never been a problem player. So maybe Sean Payton and the front office is able to work around this. Hopefully they're able to. They'll find a way to. And number two, with Ingram uh, finally being healthy, healthy, I'm pretty sure New Orleans wants to get its maximum potential out of him. But that comes from uh, Lisa D. Lipscomb at L-I-P-S-L-E-2 on Twitter. Uh, She wanted to know my thoughts on Mark Ingram. He's challenging the NFL to reverse, drop the four-game suspension on him. We'll see what happens as that situation continues. But moving to question number two from the Ask Steven segment, and it comes from Bama Shawty on Twitter at Gucci Roll Tide. Bama Shawty making his latest appearance. He wants to know the toughest game on Alabama's schedule for next season. I'm going to say it's a toss-up between Auburn and Mississippi State, to be honest with you. Louisville, no more Lamar Jackson, Heisman Trophy winner gone. And despite the fact that it has outside linebacker John Greenert on defense, you don't know another guy on that team that strikes fear in your heart. I mean, the Cardinals lost cornerback Jair Alexander to the NFL draft. I think he got picked up by the Green Bay Packers. You don't know what Louisville's bringing to the table. I mean, Arkansas's good, but you have a new head coach in Chad Morris coming in from Southern Methodist University. You don't know what he's going to bring. LSU always tends to have pretty good teams. When you travel to Death Valley Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge, that's always a scary environment, but with a new offensive coordinator coming in to replace Matt Canada. And then uh, will Ed Ogeron finally let the coordinators just coach? Stop dipping your hands in everything, Ed O. Just let the coordinators coach. Has he finally grasped that memo? We don't know. So LSU, will that really be a tough, tough challenge? We'll have to see. I mean, Texas A&M, yes. Good team. You got Jimbo Fisher, but they're traveling to play Alabama at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Texas A&M typically doesn't fare well when it travels to Bryant-Denny, i.e. the 59, the nothing beatdown it took at the hands of Alabama in 2014. And of course, 2016, 2016, excuse me, losing that game 33-14. So, A&M, good team, but would it propose a real challenge, especially on defense where it's always struggled against the run, you now got a new defensive coordinator. See what happens. You look at Ole Miss with Jordan Tamu at quarterback, Matt Luke at head coach. You know, Matt Luke's doing some things down there. Jordan Tamu played pretty well when Shea Patterson went down, and now he's going to be the guy. You got A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Demarcus Lodge at wide receiver. Ole Miss has got talent, but... With the Rebels still on sanctions, the Rebels still on that ball ban by the NCAA, really difficult to gauge. And then you got to go to Ole Miss, you have to go to Oxford, to Bald Hemingway Stadium. Granted, that is a tough place to play. Alabama lost to Ole Miss 2014 by a score of 23 to 17. Lost to Ole Miss at home in 2015 at Bryant Denny by a score of 43 to 37. 
But Ole Miss, no more Bo Wallace, no more Chad Kelly, no more Hugh Freeze. You got Matt Luke over there. You beat up on Matt Luke 66-3 a season ago. Not really much of a challenge, but Jordan Tomu could do something, could provide something. We'll see. Missouri's got Drew Locke. They got Barry Odom coming back as a head coach for the Tigers. Tennessee, uh, the rivalry could be back interesting with Jeremy Pruitt versus Nick Saban. 50-year-old Butch Jones intern on staff. But the reason why I say Mississippi State and Auburn, you know what Mississippi State and Auburn are bringing to the table. I mean, you know. Yes, Mississippi State travels to Tuscaloosa, but you know Nick Fitzgerald's going to be back. You know what Mississippi State, the toughness it brings defensively with Montez Sweat and uh, Jeffrey Simmons. This is a good team. This is a really good team. And especially if Fitzgerald is back healthy from that leg injury he suffered in the egg ball. And then, of course, Auburn. Auburn travels to Tuscaloosa, so that's a checkpoint for the Crimson Tide. But Jarrett Stidham back. Auburn got a host of backs in the backfield with Aza Martin coming in. And Tredarius, Tredavious Whitlow, Cam Martin, just a, a litany of guys. Devin Barrett, they got a linchpin of guys in that backfield. Wide receivers, they got a couple of guys coming back at that position. I mean, yes, you lose Brayton Smith off the offensive line, but it's got talent returning. You got Anderson, you got Anders Carlton, the kicker, Anderson, Anders Carlson, excuse me, the kicker coming back, the uh the brother of Daniel Carlson coming in. So Auburn's got its special teams. It's next Negatron for the next three to four years. Defensively, you lose Jeff Holland, your pass rusher. You lost Trey Williams at linebacker. Deshaun Davis comes back at linebacker. Derek Brown comes back on the defensive line. I mean, you've got pieces. Auburn's got pieces. Carlton Davis gone in the secondary. That's a huge loss. Steven Roberts gone also. But I look at Auburn and I look at Mississippi State, the two toughest tests for Alabama because you know what they bring, you know what they come back with, you know what to expect from them, you know what they have. So that that's what makes it a challenge because you know what to expect from Auburn, you know what to expect from Mississippi State, you don't know what to expect from a lot of these other teams. And I know that's and I know that that would be the intriguing factor to make the other teams tough because you don't know what to expect from them but they don't know what to expect from themselves because they don't know who's going to step up from their end of the coin also so that's why I look at Auburn and I look at Mississippi State as the two toughest teams on schedule but that comes from Bama Shawty at Gucci Rotide on Twitter toughest game on the schedule for Alabama where I think on Mississippi State and Auburn Third and final question here from the Ask Steven segment comes from Carol Smith at CarolB56 on Twitter. What will the offensive line look like for Alabama next season? That's a good question, Ms. Carol. And that's because Crimson Tide recently lost two guys from its 2015 signing class. Dallas Warmack gone. He's pursuing the Oregon Ducks as a graduate transfer. Brandon Kennedy gone. Kennedy could have really played in the fall due to, I mean, this guy is 6'3", 314 pounds. He's got size, strong footwork, exceptional hand technique. 
could have been the backup or was slide to be the backup behind Ross Pierce Baker at center. Could also play either offensive guard position. With those two gone, yes, the depth takes a hit, but you look at, you know, some guys that Alabama signed in the 2018 class with Tommy Brown and Emil Ikior, you know, both of those two guys. And then the 2019 class, granted, if Pierce Quigg and uh, Tanner Bowles from, ten- from Kentucky both signed their letter of intent to Alabama, there are two more guys coming in. But if you look at next season's offensive line, you still have Ross Pierce Baker at center. 42 career games as a starter at left guard. So he'll be your center. Behind him, I look at Hunt, I look at Hunter Brandon, somebody of whom Alabama signed in 2017 as an offensive center, was recruited to play that position. Young guy, but he's gonna have to step up to the learning curve quick. Hunter Brandon. And then also keep your eyes on Richie Pettibon. Alabama signed him in 2015. Keep in mind. Crimson Tide signed five offensive linemen in 2015. One of those guys was Pettibon from Annapolis, Maryland. Was one of the nation's top center, guard, offensive line prospects when he came in. He was hurt to kind of start his career. Finally, finally healthy. I like what Richie Pettibon brings to the table. So Pettibon and uh, Hunter Brandon, those two right there behind Ross Pierce Baker at center. At left guard, uh, give me uh, Lester Cotton. Behind him, Josh Kasher. At left tackle, give me Jonah Williams. Behind him, Alex Netherwood. At right guard, give me uh, Jedrick Wills. Behind him, Josh Kasher. Simply because Josh Kasher can play in a number of positions. Very, very versatile, very versatile diverse player. At right tackle... Give me at right tackle, give me Matt Womack, especially when he comes back from the foot injury, and he'll be back to start the uh, offseason workouts in the summer. Give me Matt Womack behind him, Scott Lashley, somebody of whom the Crimson Tide signed out of Mississippi for that 2016 class, if I'm not mistaken. So, those are just some guys, Carol, that I'm ripping off here on the offensive line. The depth takes a hit because. I really felt like Dallas Warmack could have pushed for some real starting time. He was really starting to grow, find his niche, find his role. I felt like he could have really pushed for some starting time. But more so than him, Brandon Kennedy was going to play. Brandon Kennedy, 10 career games he's played in thus far. Played in three games last year prior to having the season-ending foot injury. I think he suffered a week prior to the Iron Bowl last year. So I really thought he was going to play the former four-star out of Wetomka, Alabama. But, I mean, when you got everybody on the coaching staff and players really pumping up the young guys like Alex Netherwood and Jedrick Wills and want to see some of these other guys step up and they're not pumping you up, you're going to go somewhere that the organization, the team, the school pumps you up. They want you to be the uh, marquee contributor. They want you to be the starter. They want you to be the the All-America type of player. And especially with Warmack and uh, Kennedy both already obtaining their degrees from the University of Alabama. I mean, these two guys want to go somewhere that they can start. 
be a marquee contributor, possibly craft out an NFL draft stock. So on the offensive line, from my perspective, from left to right, left tackle, Jonah Williams behind him, uh, Alex Netherwood. Left guard, Nestor Cotton behind him, Josh Kasher. Center, Ross Pierce Baker behind him, possibly Hunter Brandon. Also keep your eyes on Richie Pettibon. Right guard, Jedrick Wills behind him, Josh Kasher. Right tackle, Matt Womack behind him, Scott Lashley. That's what I see on the offensive line moving forward for Alabama. A lot of moving parts. Nick Saban hasn't set the five best guys in stone yet, but as summer workouts come in and we get to the seven-on-sevens and ball practice comes in and media, including yours truly, gets back out there seeing what's going on, we will have all of this for you. But that question on the offensive line comes from Carol Smith on Twitter at B. 56 great segment great list of questions for the ask steven segment taking our final break here on in my own words be sure to subscribe to the touchdown alabama magazine youtube site subscribe check out the podcast leave comments like the podcast want to hear conversation interaction from you because it's you the fans that drive the content so be sure to subscribe to the touchdown alabama magazine youtube channel but when we return from the break we've we've talked about guys that we look forward to seeing next year with the crimson tide are concerned but now i dive into my five sleepers Guys are being slept on that look to have prime time performances in 2018. We dive into my top five sleepers for Alabama. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back. It's your boy, Stephen M. Smith, host of In My Own Words, the podcast. If you are a fan of this show, then I encourage you to subscribe to the Touchdown Alabama Magazine YouTube channel. Also, follow the brand on Facebook, Twitter, and other forms of social media as we continue to bring you the best in Alabama football and Crimson Tide athletics. (laughs) 